out there. Thank you for your service. This is the Street Smart Mental Health Podcast. We are coming to you as always from the Lou Fuse Automotive Group Studio. My name is Michael Wellington and the man across the table from me is my tag team partner. Many of you know him as the Natty King. His name is Brandon McNamee. Brandon, how's it hanging, brother? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm all right now. Last night I was in rough shape. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's standard procedure for the Natty King. What can we say? <laughs> Got a really cool guest today, a guy who's been a teacher in both the public schools and the private schools. He's going to talk to us today about the mental health world when it comes to students and within the high school dynamic. Paul Fitzpatrick, how are you today, brother? Doing great. Excited to be here, Mike. Man, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate you coming out to the studio, to the Lou Fuse Automotive Group studio. And tell our listeners a little bit about your background as an educator. I've been in special education 19 years. I worked in a public school for 17, and then I'm in my second year in a private school that I attended where I also received similar services I had done in public education. So when you say special education, now, does that mean, are you working with handicapped students? Are you working with people that are kids that are mentally ill or just kind of define that a little bit for us? So in the state of Missouri, my background is cross categorical special education, K through 12. So I could work with a child who has physical impairment, maybe from a car accident. And so they're a quadriplegic. And so I was their world history teacher in the France house school district in special education. I was also a co-teacher in world history. So there's general education and special education students. And that, that's something that all St. Charles public schools offer where there's, where there's a co-teaching model. So there's a social studies teacher and then myself just making sure all the students are, are getting their services met, whether it's academic support or emotional support. And then another class that I teach was social skills where you had come in and you presented to us your background. And so in social skills, those students could have an ADHD, attention deficit hyperactive disorder, ADHD or ADD diagnosis, learning disabled, where we're kind of seeing some behaviors that might be happening in the home where they would benefit from a social skills group. And then our students who are emotionally disturbed, which is classified students who have bipolar, anxiety, and depression. Students who are on a 504 because of anxiety, something may happen in the home where we have a medical letter from a doctor where they can receive services that I offered. Man, that is incredible. I mean, that's God's good work that you're doing. I mean, I know that you've probably seen things over the, you had a 17 year stint Mm -hmm. in the public schools out in the Francis Howell district. What are some of the biggest challenges some of these kids are facing, especially at that those first couple of years, whether it's freshman and sophomore year of high school? I think just the smell of coming into a, a new space Okay, where Francis Ford Zumwalt, Wentzville, 2000 kids. Some students I work with, they couldn't go to a Cardinal baseball game, 50,000 people. That's just a lot of people of faces looking at you and feeling insecure. And you're talking about a building of 2000. So once they got into my classroom of five or six students, then they were called. Oh, that's so they were real small classrooms. Yeah. Yeah. And so parents need to realize special education, it's specialized to their child's need. Yeah. They might have a honors world history or advanced placement government class, but they can come to my space for, I will be calm method Mm -hmm. an educational support counselor that we worked with Mike. 
she would come in and we'd have those one hour sessions every day where we could work on what is best for you and then kind of share that within the group. You know, the topic might be on anxiety. It might be on study strategies and they might be able to rock on that. And this is a, so, this is an adult. Th- this, this is an is adult, a, a coworker, a coworker helping me facilitate because my background is special education and my license doesn't allow me to like, okay, you need to go see a clinical psychologist now where the educational support counselor had those abilities to then recommend further support because we would have therapists that could come in, but we had to get paperwork for that. And so I was kind of involved in that, but my role was just to educate them. They would have a, an a, you know, a through F grade for social skills. And we're really targeting. So then I also had to write what's called an individualized education program, all known as IEP. And so I tracked that every quarter to see if they're meeting that social skill goal of going into a space of more than 25 people in a setting where they can be regulated for more than 10 minutes and not leave. Some of these kids couldn't go to a pep rally. So how do you build community to be involved in a school building if you can't go to a pep rally? Right. Wow. I can't so. imagine. You mean like when they would go, if they went to the pep rally, they would have uh, some sort of anxiety? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Wow. I think golf was good for you, Mike, because you, it was just you and that ball. But then my students would look up and see all these people and they couldn't go back and hit that ball or, or on a baseball field. That's fine hitting that ball. But when they look around, there's that crowd of a hundred people cheering so my role was then to like role play that. What's going mm-hmm. to that gymnasium with nobody there, just you and me, we'll shoot some hoops. So then we start introducing five more people into that gym and then 10 people. And then we'd sit in that pep rally for 10 minutes. Sort of like exposure therapy. Right. Exposure therapy. So lunchroom, perfect social skill role playing. And then let's go to a food court on a Saturday. And so another story I had was a student and I, we'd go on Saturdays to the St. Charles food court. What a good idea. And so departmental health, because he had the ADHD and bipolar diagnosis, departmental health funded that. Now, I don't know what funding looks like right now after COVID and things like that. But in 2018, this young man and I, one Saturday, we're, we're, we're shopping for cars. Cause that's a lot. He's going to have to eventually buy a car. And so we did that. And then we went into a department store. I'm like, I need you to go buy these pair of pants and go up to that, that counter of this high end clothing store like an Abercrombie kind of thing mm-hmm. and go buy these pants and you're going to go do that. Here's and, $20. And during that time, they're having just a massive the, anxiety. The, like, you can see the look of trust with me. And then I step away and it's just, yeah. And they're like, Mr. Fitz, you got to be here. They're like, no, bud, because someday you're going to have to get in that car and drive to that job. And you're going to have to introduce yourself with people. So you see a lot of breakthroughs with this type yeah, of, yeah. I mean, again, it I only had them for so many hours of that week right? or that, that grit group that you came and talked to, Mike. Mm-hmm. We only had so many minutes with them and then they have other distractors. They go back into their phone because that's their safe space. Yeah, know? I can remember when I came and talked to your group, I was only there for maybe an hour or maybe 80 minutes and I can remember wanting to stay longer mm-hmm. because I felt like I was connecting with the kids and this is probably the first time they had heard anybody talk about bipolar like wide open. Mm-hmm. And I bet you felt that all the time in the sense that you'd love to be with them for longer periods. And you were, but when you get around those kids and you see that they really are thirsting to hear about my situation with bipolar, maybe you were talking to them about anxiety or ADHD or whatever it might be. You know, you said a minute ago about COVID. I mean, what what did COVID, in your opinion, or what you saw with your own two eyes, what did COVID do to 
the challenges that these students are facing with all these conditions, all these mental health conditions? It was a reset. They won. They got to be home. I mean, I, I had to meet with them on computer, which was fine. It was just us on a the computer. They loved it. They got Mr. Fitz for five days a week to make sure that I was meeting their service minutes for Desi and our school district. Yeah. And then, so it was a reset. So then when we left COVID, so by that point I was in elementary school, that first year back trying to keep masks up and the anxiety of like, oh my gosh, am I going to get COVID? And then trying to be, remember the, I will be calm strategy, you know, touching our fingertips and, and drawing and using fidgets and just trying to find a way to get back into some kind of normalcy. But then another side is that mask kind of like hid them. They felt hidden so they could wear that mask and be in a crowd of people and no one notice them. But then we had to reteach all those strategies all over again after COVID. Man, that's got to be frustrating. And then new new diagnoses, Brennan, you know. So because of going back to school and those school phobias, those smells, like, am I going to get COVID from smelling? And it's just, ah, it it was so heartening for me to then take that home and want to hug my own children and knowing that my babies are going to be okay. But I had other people's babies I had to be responsible for. And you mentioned your wife's a teacher as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you guys probably have had more than one, dis- many more than one discussion about comparing notes about what she's seeing and what you're seeing. Well, what kind of things did she share with you that maybe you were able to utilize or maybe just kind of learned from her about what she was experiencing? Well, my wife, Carrie, she's been a teacher for 20 years. And so her music was like the calm to my students. And so introducing music in our class, some kind of like music therapy. Is she a music teacher? She's a music teacher. They do offer music therapy in in there. We've talked about music therapy on this show. How often that keeps coming up, you know, from every one of our guests. Maybe it works. (laughs) I'm saying that's a huge major now. Um, Maryville has a a great music therapy program. Is that right? Yeah. One of her students, she just graduated with a music therapy major. She has a couple kids, so she's going to try to figure out how she can do daycare and still afford to make a teacher salary. Sure. So she used music therapy for that. And that was the classes my students excelled in. So I don't understand why they could sing for Carrie and 500 people in an auditorium, but then we can't go into a pep rally and sit there and think all eyes are on you when there really weren't. They were on the cheerleaders or the basketball team or whatever we're, we're cheering for. The thing that's really disturbing to me is when you think about a pep rally and we've all even either been to one or we've seen them on in movies or television, like a pep rally is supposed to be completely positive, right? Right. Like it's a rah, rah situation. Mm -hmm. Right. And to hear that some of these kids were uncomfortable in that environment, that is eye opening to me. So if a kid didn't want to go to a pep rally because they were going to feel anxiety because there were so many people in the same area. What would those kids do? Would they go back to the classroom or what? So myself and another special teacher, we take turns, you know, if it's the October pep rally ending fall sports, state championship competitions and things. So I would stay back in the classroom and the student and I, we would just, we just talk. We might watch some YouTube videos or something like that. Like most of our students who were more introverted, some of our students with, with a diagnosis of autism and so mm-hmm. it's another element of special education we, we serviced a lot. So we would talk about World War II or, you know, the war in Afghanistan or Iraq and sharing stories like that. So they got that, again, they got me alone to kind of, you know, because we give love. Sure. That's what's missing a lot in these kids is they, they need love and they need that attention. And they, I don't know if they're, they're not, I know they're not getting it at home. Some of them are, but not enough. It might be just one parent in the home, not two parents. And, you know, Mike, we grew up with both parents. Yeah, very lucky. Very, very fortunate. So my background, growing up in a Catholic family, 
I had love. And then when I was put into that self-contained classroom, 17, 19, whatever it was years ago, and these kids didn't have it. They had me. And so they're fighting over my attention. And sure. so we had to like set up boundaries. Okay. You're going to work with Mr. Fitz 10 minutes and you're going to do your English assignment and then I'm going to come back to you. And so a lot of kids would act up negatively to get my attention. Mm-hmm. So, so going back to the whole pep rally thing. Yeah. We take yeah. turns of that, but then we're like, Hey, you hear them? Cause it's just down the hall from me. You hear, you hear that cheering? Let's watch a video of it. And so we'd watch people at pep rallies and like high school musical had come out of that point. So, so would a kid come to you and say, Mr. Fitz, I don't feel comfortable going to the pep rally today. They literally would yeah. address you and say that and say, okay, I don't want to go. And then can I do something else? Or is there somewhere else I can go? That's how it would go down. Yeah. And they just interesting. Like, and are, the, my classroom. are these special needs kids or just kids with anxiety, depression? I mean, which I guess it was, it was anybody. It was just anybody yeah. at all. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it could be five kids. It could be 10 kids. Sometimes a counselor would come in with me and we just kind of like a lone little counseling session. I had no idea that this was like an offered thing, yeah. like mm-hmm. a, a, to have somebody, it's a hugely important. And I think that a lot of kids, like when I first started high school, I was mm-hmm. anxiety. I grew up with anxiety, and depression, and you got the upperclassmen and the, you get nervous and you don't have anybody to fucking talk to. Right. And you just think you're all alone. And I had no, it's a great resource to have somebody like you that's there for them. I had no idea that was, has, has, has that been around for a while or is I, that? I, I don't know. I, I just know what's best for kids. Yeah. Well, I'm certainly, you've been doing so. it at, at, at uh, Francis Hall district for 17 years. So yeah. at least 17 years yeah. when you got there to, to you, piggyback on Brandon's question, when you got there was, did they know what they wanted to use you for? Or did you kind of help develop? So some before of the Francis Hall, I, I was in the I was in St. Louis Public Schools as a para, and then Special School District had me in uh, another district in University City. I love those kids because Mike and I grew up in a very prominent white area of St. Louis, and my, my parents always wanted me to give back. And so we went to soup kitchens as a kid, and the services we did in high school for our Catholic class, our religion classes, and then so I, I loved I loved University City in the self-contained room. I was the minority, but they didn't see me as that. They see me as the man that's going to help them with their homework and their social skills. But then when I got out to Francis Howell, they, they put me in that self-contained room and I just kind of figured out, okay, this is nothing what I was taught in school. This was nothing that I experienced in a Catholic upbringing. I want to work what's best for this kid. And so I had like five different curriculums going on. It might be English on paper for their grade, but really we're talking about social skills. How are you handling your girlfriend? Mm-hmm. Why are you not going to go run down Highway 94? Because I'm going to run you down. Because I ran a 430 mile in high school, and I'm, <laughs> and I'm going to run you down. That's pre-Fontaine shit. Yeah, well, yeah. And, <laughs> and we would watch some of those movies in yeah. social skills, overcoming his being short and not making the football mm-hmm. team. But he put that energy and drive to success into running and becoming a world-class runner. Right. And so we watched that. We watched The Guardian you know, the Kevin Cosner movie. And I felt like, a, and I explained to him, I felt like I was Kevin Cosner's role as the swimmer, jumping into that ocean, saving those stranded people on those ships and telling my students, you're that stranded swimmer and I'm going to save you, but you got to be saved. And that's a lot of that we, we got into was ways to save yourself when there's not a trusted adult, that you are going to be okay. There are programs out there, but the kids got to know it. Like you talked about how when you're in high school, you didn't know that. Kids have to go to their counselor and talk. And it, I know it's hard to do because you're in a new space, but I think the schools now do a good job of introducing every space that's available to everybody. And since COVID, I'm 
I'm most positive the public schools are reaching out for everybody who needs help. We have groups that meet at my school now, but then there's also lines of therapists that kids want to get into. And it's just really hard because of the, the aftermath of, of COVID. Uh, yeah. I mean, certainly we've talked about this at length off the air about, you know, sometimes these days, if you're just trying to get a simple counselor's appointment or a, a psychiatrist appointment, <laughs> right. it could take two months Fucking and, on the, on the quick end. Yeah. Right. And, and that's right. the thing that's so alarming. I mean, Polly, you're, your experience in this area is so unique. I know there's a, there's probably a decent amount of other people that have done this type oh, yeah. of work, but in your opinion and, and all the time you've spent doing this work, are there two or three, maybe a handful of things that you would share with parents out there that are kind of universal helps with their children at this age? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, are there some things that you noticed in your work that were effective and then were there some things that you tried and you realized, okay, well, this really isn't going to work, this strategy. Mm -hmm. are, there, are there some things like that you could kind of share with people out there? So it's kind of like building a car. Most cars are done really well on Tuesdays and Thursdays mm -hmm. because Friday is getting close to the weekend. And so those guys are thinking about the weekend, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, the cars turn out really great, but they've, they've done research on like car manufacturers and tires that were made between Tuesday and Thursday, your best. So my students, their Mondays and Fridays are the hardest because Friday is the weekend. They don't know whose home they're going to. And then parents don't medicate on weekends. And now I'm saying all parents don't do that. You know, sure. Parents did. And because they're not in school. But then you have to be consistent with your medication. And then just the consistency at home, just being consistent with the support you give your child. You know, if you say, okay, I need you off your tablet right now. Like, no, you got to give them, you gave them a time limit. And so that's something I learned in my classroom. It's like, okay, I need a tablet now. Like what? One more minute, one more minute. And so then you get the pushback, the, push yeah. the dysregulation. You know, I'm not going to do that. I mean, I've had students flip desks because so they're upset, you know. So we set time limits. And I do that with my own kids now. You know, Alexa, set a timer for time minutes. You know, Colleen only has 10 more minutes on her tablet. And then she's done. So that gives her time limits. So I think parents, if they have time limits on social media use or electronic devices when they're just gaming or whatever, and then being consistent with medication, and then it's talking with them. Go to a sporting event or go to a park, go to the science center. So they're used to seeing a lot of people. So when they are back in school, they've already had that familiarity of being around strangers that are strange to them, but may not really true strangers, but that they just are more open to that. We have covered so much here. Let's take a quick break and come right back. We've been here for over 70 years, giving back to community charities, local organizations, and youth athletics. And now we're the official automotive sponsor of St. Louis City SC. We've been here, providing the best car buying experience to our customers. Lou Fuse, we are here with the respect you deserve for 70 years and counting. Welcome back to the Street Smart Mental Health Podcast. We're going to get right back to it. You know, you said something in there that we've had conversations with other guests on this podcast about. You talked about electronics and video games and social media. And it's one thing if you're an adult and you're over 18 or you're over 21 and you're, you're using your social media however you want to use it. But do you think, in your opinion as an educator, is it more detrimental for these kids to be playing a lot of video games and stuck on social media all the time? Or we had a guest in the other day who thought that 
his autistic son actually was able to make some friends in some chat rooms, right? Now we talked before the show today about chat rooms could be questionable at times, but like, just talk a little bit about the, the effect of video games, electronics, and social media on our kids in high school today. I think the parent, again, parents got to monitor it, set time limits and boundaries on that. I've had students have to go to the counselor office because they broke up with their girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Their girlfriend's like in Idaho or whatever he told me. And I was like, have you ever physically met this girl? Well, no, but she's my girlfriend. Oh, shit. And I was like, no. I was like, buddy, that, that's someone you met on social media that might be a, an adult. That's, that's a not 70 year old man named Barry. Yeah. And it could be some hacker in right. a European country that we don't know about. Bruh. And so having those conversations at home, because parents got to realize you're your child's first teacher. I am not. When I had students in ninth grade, I was their seventh teacher or whatever, because from elementary to middle school to high school, and I was their, one of their final teachers before they went into the post secondary education or a career, whether it's at Walmart or a trade school. And so they needed to know that being at home is your time with your child, not being on your own phone. I was between parent conferences and, and coaching cross country one time. And so I went to Burger King and get something to eat. And I'm just, uh, you know, my teacher, your eyes are open and watching this mom and child having burgers together. Well, she's eating her burger on her phone and, and the kid's like, hey, mom, I want to show you something on my tablet. No, 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 go play on your tablet. So a lot of it is the parents got to put the phone down mm-hmm. and parent, parent your child, talk to your child, do some fun things together. Don't involve social media because so many times you read in the news, oh, this kid was gaming for 14 hours and he had thoughts of shooting a school. Mm-hmm. Well, where was the parent? What was the parent talking to the child and, and working with them? And, you know, if we can get the school, the whole school shooting thing. But the mental part of that is these kids have to realize this is just an electronic device to entertain yourself. Why don't you go play basketball for your, your child? Have those boundaries. Social media is great. Yes, you know, chat rooms for, for children with a, an autistic diagnosis in, in small increments is fine, but not for eight hours. So you know? it, it, this actually is something very, I'm very, that's why I put my phone in front of you because okay. I want to actually yeah. send this to my wife later. But we have a uh, 12-year-old who just started mm-hmm. sixth grade and okay. like last night, we took away her phone at 1230 in the morning, realized yeah. she was on her phone. We take it off and she lost it, mm-hmm. lost her fucking yeah. mind, crying her eyes out, screaming about getting it back. I had, I still got it now, mm-hmm. the phone, but it's like, it's almost like she's literally addicted to yeah. talking on social media to her friends that all have it as well. And I feel bad because I, I know what I need to do. I know I need to limit it. And I know I need to say, Hey, let's go do this or go do that. But She's so much more interested in her conversations with her friends and she feels, I don't, I don't want to exclude her by keeping her away. Like I can't be like, Hey, delete Snapchat, which is a very highly monitored Snapchat. It really is. We keep nothing deletes. It's, it's all that shit. And we're, we're logged in every time. But if you like, if we take that away from her, we're excluding her and all these kids, these mob mentality, these bullies, I mean, these kids are mean to each other. Oh yeah. And you see, you know what I mean? It's, fucking horrible and i feel like i'm this fine line between not excluding her not making her the single kid out that can't have snapchat but also monitoring it but also keeping her limited and also not making her lose her mind and having a huge anxiety attack whenever she can't talk to these kids like i don't know what (laughs) i'm like truly really struggling to navigate through this 
Brent, it's like a weekly check-in with her. Yeah. Like I have weekly check-ins with my students, checking grades and like, how are things going on at home and, and your, your self, self-care? How's that going? Just have a conversation. So it's 1230. You're frustrated. You're tired. Long day at work. And then you just grab the phone out of her hand. No, we it, talked about it. Okay. it. She was supposed to turn it in. Okay. She was supposed to turn it in about uh, nine o'clock. Okay. And we all fell asleep. I right. fell asleep. Right. Then I, I realized I get up and I realize she's on her phone and, and didn't turn it in. Right. At that point, it's fucking grounded from it. Give yeah. me that. Yeah. <laughs> like, she, she I mean, I don't trust. Yeah. And it's like, she feels so it's literally like she's in pain mm-hmm. at how yeah. mad she is. Cause she's having three conversations like off an arm. and they're all mm-hmm. having a great yeah. time and they're all talking to each yeah. other. And then all of a sudden, like she has to go ghost on them all. Right. Right. And I, I just, I'm navigating the feelings of guilt Mm-hmm. but also the feelings of you got to do this and be a good parent right. and you have to do this because it's for the better good. It's for, it's for the better good of her right. mental health, her everything. And, um, I don't know how to, I don't know how to navigate it. So it's called restorative conversation, restorative conversation. Yeah. So you let her talk, tell her side of the story, and then you feel how you think it's going. And then a third person just stays neutral. Obviously your wife is probably going to have your back, but, yeah, you know, a, a trusted neighbor or your dad or grandma, the, you know, the door dasher. The door, like, hey, yeah, guy, really, come in for a minute. Yeah, let's. <laughs> I'm sure you got, Michael got, got would an be hour. A, a good. Uh, I'm happy to help. Yeah, yeah, happy to help you know, anytime. Right? So we do that a lot in school. Like if if a student and I were in conflict and we need to restore that relationship, myself and the principal or counselor would sit down with the student, like, hey, we want to hear your side of the story. Why were you so upset when you had to put down your tablet to go back to your schoolwork? Usually, I was in the middle of a game. So eventually your daughter's going to own up. She's going to own up to it. She might hold out today, but because we have a long weekend, maybe Monday. Do I keep it from her still? Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Okay. So I do keep the phone from her. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough love. It's hard. It It hurts. Right. And you need to tell her that that hurts. You know, you should listen to this podcast that it's what's best for her. My wife, she read somewhere like save it for eight means eighth graders. That's when they are like maturing to get a phone because it's kind of like getting into adulthood. With yeah, high she was eight stuff. years old. What she got, right? <laughs> she didn't have social media, yeah. but she had like YouTube and all right. that shit. Right. And I think we've just really let her. And it's not like we don't want to deal with it. So we're like, here, do you know what? Oh, you're going to freak out. Just keep the phone. Right. It's not anything like that. It's like she'll sneak it. So Google you know? has programs where you, it just shuts off the phone at certain times. And we use that for our kids. It's Family Link. Is that a, is that on the apps? Like yeah, iPhone? I get on. Yeah. iPhone store. I'm sure that, you know, you can family link family link, and it'll just yeah, <laughs> power yeah. the shit down. Like, dad, I need more time. Like my seven year old dad, I need more time. My tablet. I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, I can't. Like, it's a, it's oh, a, oh man. Sorry. I'm like in the middle of a Snapchat story I'm reading, you know, but then I got like, okay, kids come first. So yeah, get transferred. and it's hard. I mean, cause we're it all is. addicted to phone looking at the time, what the time it is, if activities got going on there. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, just have that conversation with her and another person so she can be heard was why she was three and a half hours past her. her and I, and I would agree. I probably should lead by example too. Mm-hmm. put my phone down, yeah. you know, maybe, Hey, no phones. Let's go. Right. Like you said, to the park, let's go yeah. do something. Let's go see a movie. She just has no interest in that right. shit. And it's almost like I got to force her to go, but my, she's at that weird age. I mean, she's 12. And so that's where she's trying to develop and push limits back. We had a cell phone jail at school. Cell phone jail? Yeah. It's, it's a tub, you know, that you okay. can keep markers in. I just took it out about cell phone jail. I'm like, okay, it's either going to cell phone jail or it's going in your pocket. I'm like, oh, fine, I'll put my pocket, you know? I like that. Little yeah. orange jumpsuit cases yeah, on Yeah, right? Yeah. Throw it in the uh, my, my current private school, we use a cell phone parking lot. 
But see, difference between private school and public school, we charge our students $20 if they have their cell phone out without permission. Or if they're gaming really? on their computer when they have schoolwork to do. We, uh, that's like a little side hustle. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, that's, but yeah. again, difference between private and public school, we can, we can, uh, you can have yeah. those kind of disciplinary right. things. Yeah. But at home, you know, maybe your daughter gives you $20 to get her phone back or. I told her, or, so yesterday, or, this is how, this is how much she's into it. I told her yesterday because she, she wants AirPods. She's like, okay. we're allowed to listen to music and downtime at school mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, about 200 bucks, 150, 200 bucks, I think for AirPods. She's like, how can I earn it? I said, I'll give you $20 a day that you keep Snapchat off your phone. She's like, hell no, no, never mind. I'm like, that's the fucking best allowance right. in the world. No 12 year olds getting a hundred dollars a week or, uh, you know, you can have the AirPods by next week. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, all you gotta do right. is delete Snapchat. Yeah. That's how addicted these kids are. These yeah. And I got to blame myself for letting her, but I really want to uh, step up and, and figure out how to, you know, the cell phones hurt academics. Oh, just, her grades are even getting down. Yeah. And like, I hate to dog. I'm like talking right. on her here on the pad. No, I'm just being that. honest. But they're not bad, but you can tell that she's spending more time interested in her social life, her mm-hmm. conversations with her friends than she is her academics and her competitive cheerleading and all that shit. Right. So. But I mean, like lead by example, right? Like if you all can use your cell phone jail all together and then do something together for 30 minutes or 10 minutes a night, I know we're all busy with so cheerleading and things. To kind of like, okay, if dad's doing this, then I can do this. Children learn to drive cars from their parents. Well, their parents are driving like this and on their phone. Well, oh, mom and dad are doing it. Then I can look out. I can text and drive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right? So, or, you know, smoking. If my parents are smoking, then I'm probably going to smoke. So, again, you're your, fir- your child's first teacher. She was introduced by cell phones from you. And so yeah. it's, it's hard. I mean, we're all addicted to it. My kids tell me all the time, Dad, get off your phone. Watch this show with me. Or come kick the soccer ball. Right. You know, you know, you touched a minute ago on the school shootings, right? Yeah. And one of the things that it's kind of a semi fascination for me, and I don't think we'll ever be able to figure out the numbers, but what I always am interested in finding out if we could, I don't think it's possible, but all these situations that come about, I wonder how many of those kids that commit those crimes are playing on these video games that have the, the machine guns and the blood and the killing in those games. Do you see these? I mean, are a lot of the kids you have worked with, are they, are they just fascinated by these games? And why can't there be, and nobody really knows, I guess, but why can't there be regulations to, I mean, I'm fine if somebody wants to play Super Mario Brothers or some sort of sports game, but when you got these video games celebrating people getting shot and people getting maimed and laying in, pools of blood like i just don't understand that this generation of teenagers they're desensitized to school shootings like oh someone almost died because they've seen it on video games or some social media platform where someone actually did die mm-hmm. and you know, we we've talked about with our current freshman line they say about 50 percent in this one group of students that did a survey that they've seen someone die on a video game like live and it's why you know, so like I yeah. know you can't really monitor First Amendments, but parents have to do more. This cell phone or that Xbox or PlayStation being a babysitter so you can go binge watch whatever you want on your your television, Netflix show, whatever. You got to have a conversation with your kid. Like my, my 11-year-old son, he's playing Fortnite, and I make him stop in the middle. I was like, you realize this is not real, right? Those guns are not hurting someone, but I don't know if a parent enough parents are doing that like, Bring up the Sandy Hook shooting. How many times is that guy playing 
Call of Duty. And Call of Duty once in a while is fine, but you have to have that conversation. Again, first teacher, you're your child's first teacher. You have to have that conversation with them and say, hey, you know, you're shooting this tank gun at this Nazi soldier in your World War II game did happen. Let's have that conversation when you're done playing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if enough of those school shooting kind of things, those conversations happening with their parents. Because video gaming is fine to a point, but for hours and hours, you need a break. Yeah, I just never understood the whole video game fascination, especially when it came to violent games. But yeah, that's it's such a sticky thing, mm -hmm. you know. It, it, but to me, it seems so obvious, but no one's really done anything about it or regulated it, and mm -hmm. it, it bothers me a little bit because I was actually during the Parkland shooting, if you yeah. remember that, I was I was in Florida at that time, like less than less than 10 miles from where that took place. Right. And that one really got my attention. And I just think it's something that I, I wish the government would actually do something to regulate some of these video games, because I feel like those types of video games just breed this behavior and it's just a bad look. But right. Polly, tell me in your experience, these last 20 some odd years in your position, is there one condition out there that you're seeing more of? And what I mean by that is, are you seeing more anxiety? Are you seeing more depression? Are you seeing more bipolar? Are you seeing more schizophrenia? Are you seeing more ADHD? Like what, what kind of things jump out at you are the things that we need to keep our eye on the most? Well, I think the medical community is doing a much better job with testing. Good. They say, oh, ADHD is on the rise. Like, is it really? I mean, the diagnoses are getting better. Right. The, the testing that we do is better. Schools are becoming more aware. Pediatricians' offices are overflowing with this to help kids' needs. Diet is also important. Can you tell how many times kids are walking in with McDonald's and mm. these energy drinks to get them through their day because they're up late gaming or whatever? Right. So kind of went off on a tangent on there. But no, that's good. Know, but that's what we want. So my focus on my master's degree at Linwood University was emotional disturbance because of my experiences when I was in University City and when I was seeing my first couple years in Francis Hall. Is it environmental or is it a learned behavior? And it's a little bit of both. So back to your question about bipolar ADHD and all those other diagnoses, they're all prevalent. It's just how you, the adult in the room, helping that child reacts to that. You know, you hear schizophrenia, like, oh, you know, no, that's someone's kid that you are responsible to educate. Mm -hmm. And in some of my interviews I've had over the years, when I'm moving from different school buildings within Francis Howell, they're like, well, education comes first. Like, well, to get through education, you have to get through the behavior. Yeah. Because you, if you just push the math in front of them, right. they're going to rip that up and throw it in your face yeah. and say, go, you know? Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. If the behavior's bad, it's hard to learn. Right, right. Yeah. right. And so if you build a positive relationship with your student first, then you can start introducing curriculum down the road. When we first came back from COVID, the elementary school I was at, our principal, her focus was on building that trust for your students, building that family within your, your classroom. And so it started to become a model was family first. So That's awesome. And she was a wonderful administrator. I loved working for her. My last year with her, I, I was named Teacher of the Year. Kind of cool. There you go. Not shocked you know, by this, cool, right? Not shocked um, by this. And she, I mean, if you can get her on the podcast, it'd be awesome. But, but she's so right because don't worry about the grades. Don't worry about the reading scores. Mm -hmm. Educate. That's someone's baby that we've been put entrusted in front of that we need to mentor. Teaching them about limiting your gaming. Teach them about working together, turn-taking with conversations, good eye contact. And then maybe week three, 
then we can start looking about schoolwork. And that really was successful in the, the 2020, 2021 school year was building those relationships first. Because by December, when the kid's like, oh, I really don't want to do this reading. Like, remember we were talking about how much you love playing Fortnite? How many Fortnite characters? And so we, we print off assignments with Fortnite characters on there. And then you got to do like an algebra problem with the Fortnite characters. Another kid loved Legos. And so we would do like 100 Legos here, five Legos here, and one Lego here. And then we have our equal sign. Hmm, and then, so how, again, building that relationship, what do they love incorporating into school? Finding books about Star Wars. And so we'd read books about Star Wars for those kids that like that. And then, then we could find like a fun TikTok about someone reading Dr. Seuss. You know, and so the kids would, would be able to hear that. Yeah, I mean, it's good so, to hear you're finding like outside the box ways to get their attention because I would imagine that getting their attention is more than 50% of the battle. Right. Standing yeah, for probably. 50 minutes and having a child with a diagnosis to listen to you, it, it doesn't work. You lose, you, and you lose a child without a diagnosis after 12 minutes. So yeah. that's why you got these transition, you know, have like student center over here where there might be on a tablet where they're doing like a Kahoot video game that has vocabulary and there's pictures with the house or, or the mansion or the cars, a Tesla, something that, you know, more modern car. And then you have kids over here reading with you and kids over here doing a math facts that involve whatever uh, social media they're into, you know, cause you're building that relationship, what they like. And then you get into the more harder reading assignments, man. Um, so it's so. like, it's not like a one size fits all type no. deal. Like you got figure out what the kid, what's mm -hmm. best for that individual mm -hmm. child and, and go with that. And it's hard on the teachers, but in the long run, it, everyone wins. You, you not only win you, you win the battle with the kids, you, you win the game. How do, if, if you don't mind me switching gears just for a second, how do you stay patient? How do you stay sane? How do you stay, how do you take care of you? Exercise. Exercise. Humor. That's what Humor. we. Keep. It's another one we keep yep. hearing: music therapy and exercise. Yeah, they're very common. I think those are I, I very. Think those are the very answers. simple. Yeah. But I mean, I just saying, like nobody's yeah. looking out for you. You're looking out right. for everybody. It sounds yeah. like, including your coworkers, yeah. which is fantastic. Uh, I, so. I love those. Uh, I was the only guy in our department. There's not a lot of special ed males in elementary. No, no, I was the only one. Um, and they were great. Like they all mom, they all mommed me. You know, to make sure I was doing okay, and like That's they'd cool. give me breaks. So having a good team at school, just like at home, having a good team at home to support what's best for your child. And then just prayer. You know, I, I pray the rosary every morning, going to school, praying for these kids. Ten Hail Marys and our yeah, father. That's yeah, right. That's go. right. And I go past St. Luke's hospital and praying for those people there, you know, awesome. Hey, man. So, no, it's awesome. And, and you know, I, I did that before I was in, even in private school and I can name drop. Yeah. I met Pope John Paul II. I received communion from him. Get out. Okay. Was okay. that when he came yeah, to St. Louis back in the nineties? Yeah. Monsignor Sticker. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was a, that was a thing when that guy came yeah. to town. So you gotta be that, positive cheerleader all the time. And then when I get home, it's like, and then I got to find that self-care at home to then right. be the good dad. You're balancing so, a lot of yeah, emotions, yeah. not only just, not just your own, but everybody's. Right. And that's, man, I gotta be honest. You're doing some, you're doing some pretty damn good work. Thanks. You really are. I don't, I'm not surprised after talking to you for yeah. 41 minutes, 42 minutes, I'm not surprised you got teacher of the year. I, I mean that good, good stuff, man. Yeah, man. You're certainly doing God's good work and I've been lucky to know you forever. And uh, I knew you'd be able to offer some good insight and, and tell some of our listeners, you know, and before we let you go, what are some things that you could tell parents out there 
that are listening. And I know there's going to be a lot of parents out there that need to, to hear some new things mm-hmm. that they can maybe focus on moving forward to help them with how do I navigate this with my kid and his, his or her social media habits? And how do I, you know, how can I get the kid outside more? And how can I get the kid eating better exercise? Like, are there certain like tricks or, or, or ideas that you can share with people that, that or share with parents that can help them along the way? It's kind of an old school approach too with with the new things going on. It, it's having, having a schedule. Interesting. And, and, and I know we're all busy with work and and then kids run kids activities, but finding time to build a schedule so they know between nine p.m. and twelve thirty in the morning, I'm not on my phone. I'm getting good sleep. Right. And then finding articles that talk about why it's so important to get good good sleep for a teenager because you're growing and it's part of being healthy. And going back to your your daughter, you know, cheerleading. To be a successful cheerleader, you need that good sleep to to perform well. You're not just saying, "Hey, nine nine o'clock, it's, it's over." Right. You're saying, "Here's why, right. and here's what's going to help, and here's how you're going to benefit from it." Mm-hmm. And explaining uh, it. You know, we go through Google Calendar on the weekends. The kids like, "Okay, Colleen has this activity. Evelyn has ballet. Liam has a soccer game, and then we got church on Sunday." I think families finding time. It didn't have to be you know a religious obligation, but finding time do something together like the rock climbing wall in the city or going on, the, you know, our St. Charles re- residence, going to Katy trail. I worked at a bicycle shop part-time kind of making ends meet before COVID. And we had so many people coming in for bikes because they want to start exercising more. And that's, again, it's finding something to do together. So when it is time to get up that phone, the child might be more susceptible to, to surrender it to you. Cause they're like, I'm not just going to stare at the TV now. Right. I'm going to go, Maybe hang out with my dad and my mom. Right. Maybe we're going to yeah. go have game night or maybe right. we're going to have, mm-hmm. we're going to make dinner together. Right. There's yeah. a million things, yeah. a million things. Making cookies together. Right. You know, it was, a, that's one of our big things. We do uh, that as often as possible. Yeah. That, and, and so that's something you can also use in your tool belt of dadhood is, oh, I'm gonna pull this tool out. Remember when we were making cookies the other night? Wasn't that so much fun? Right. Sorry, I need to take your phone away. It's best for you. I promise it's going to be okay. Hand me the phone. Yeah. And then it's on her that put the phone in the pocket, yeah. goes into the phone parking lot. Cell phone jail. Cell phone jail. Yeah, orange stripes <laughs> and all. Locked up. Yeah. So, but I mean, I'm here to help. I feel like I left the battlefield of what I was doing and I'm in a new area, but I still miss those kids. I still think about those kids. I pray for their families and I hope they're they're doing well. And then if they do listen to this podcast that I'm just in St. Louis County now. You know, right. there, there, there are people out there that will help your child be successful, but it starts in the home first. It has to be in the home first. 100%. Well, man, it's good to know that, you know, I know you're a very unique individual, but hopefully there's a few other people out there doing this type of work in the school systems because what you're doing and what you have done is tremendous. And, you know, we can't thank you enough for joining us and kind of sharing some of your insight on how to help the kids out there, because I think a lot of parents need as much help as they can get. I agree. And God bless them all. Yeah, well, uh, that is Paul Fitzpatrick for my partner, the Natty King, Brandon McNamee. I'm Michael Wellington, and we will see you next time on Street Smart. Love you, bye.